we have to talk about consciousness. Our life is actually a midpoint between the two deaths. To use the sexual energy in order to achieve enlightenment. The three-dimensional spiral shape encoded in our DNA, in our biology. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of you guessed it, the Discomfort Zone podcast. As always, I'm Olev, a pleasure to be here, and I can see already we've got quite a few people in chat. Welcome, welcome, Avian Flu, Crimson, Lax, Rondon, Solo, and Abigail Honey. A pleasure to see you here, as always. Um, yeah, it's wonderful to be back. I must admit that I made a slight miscalculation uh, <laughs> in the preparation for this episode. I forgot we hadn't actually covered... Uh, what I prepared for last week, where we sort of went through uh, the uh, secret societies and spoke about that in the end of the entire episode. So I actually have a, a lot prepared for today, um, as as I always like to have. So we'll 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 get into the swing of it. There's a lot of ways that we can go with this, and as always, I appreciate feedback input. If you have any uh, subjects that pique your interest, then uh, those in chat are welcome to let me know. And those who are listening afterwards, you're always welcome to reach out if there's something you uh, you want me to talk about, as long as it's related, of course. Um, yeah, but let's uh, get right into it, because this week I hope we're going to be continuing with the uh, narrative uh, a little bit further, which uh, last week we took a break from. And then there's a few things I uh, I want to talk about uh, near, near the middle of the episode. We're going to cover the uh, Egyptians' perception of death. So that should be interesting. But for now, let's carry on basically where we stopped. And uh, as we, uh, as some of you may remember, we're sort of talking about the time after the uh, fall of Atlantis and the three sort of centers that were organized in the world, the uh, center in Egypt, in Tibet, and in uh, South America, in uh, Mexico. And we're really focusing on the development in Egypt. Now... This is also uh, interesting because Sitchin uh, shares this same, I don't know how to call it, but sort of uh, favoritism in terms of history to the obviously Western culture that we know um, sort of re uh, came from ancient Egypt uh, through the ages, much more so than the very different, as it were, and distinct cultures in Tibet and in South America. And if you want to sort of study these subjects, and I think there's an overwhelming um, abundance of information about all Western history, and it's uh, much more difficult to find. Uh, obviously, this is partly because the invaders who conquered uh, Tibet and uh, um, the Americas, really, uh, destroyed so much of the information that they found. Um, and this was true in the West as well, but more so, I think, um, over there, because there was sort of there was so much uh, destruction of information and knowledge that happened so quickly. So uh, a lot of it, unfortunately, is lost, although more and more is coming back uh, through the uh, over the years. So that's also an, a comforting thought. Um, and if you believe, as I do, that all of this knowledge is, is somewhere kept, uh, not merely in uh, you know clay tablets or ancient scrolls, uh, then everything is good and we haven't lost anything. So that's one way to think of it. 
But nonetheless, um, as we are following Drunvalo's uh, narrative, we will focus on Egypt. And in fact, he explains a little bit about why Egypt was uh, so important for him to focus on. And in his description, we were talking about uh, the consciousness grid. And so before they actually arrived in Egypt, the three characters, uh, Thoth, Ra and Aragat, um, began construction of this consciousness grid, um, both in the ethereal dimensions and eventually here on Earth in the form of sacred structures all around the world. And this was a very sort of complex global grid that took uh, a long time to uh, construct. Not a long time in our sense, but the, a long time in terms of the complexity and the uh, intertwining, as it were, um, of all of these different structures and all these different centers of energy. And the whole system was sort of created, um, as it were, on the basis of uh, what we know as the chakra system. And so we've spoken about this before, and we talked about the chakra. The chakra itself is sort of our biological uh, energetic systems of the chakras is a pattern that exists in the world uh, in general. Um, we're talking about the seven chakra system, and we spoke about how it relates, the seven planets, the seven uh, notes, etc., etc., the, the division to seven colors that we have. And so this, um, this formation of energetic patterns, this uh, interconnected system, is a very powerful, uh, you know, geometrically speaking, a very powerful system to use. And so this was the um, system that they were using uh, for this consciousness grid. Now, in the book, Drunvalo grows into tremendous uh, detail and description of exactly how the grid um, was constructed and the different sites that take uh, sort of their part of it. And uh, he goes into a lot of relatively, I think, uh, dry details and somewhat complex to just listen to me rambling on. So I think we'll sort of condense that um, to what we want. And again, if you want to go in deeper to hear more about what he thinks then I highly uh, recommend reading the book. But for our intents and purposes, what's important for us to remember is that the chakra system was basically a system of the, um, the, the, the binary energy of the earth, meaning the masculine and feminine energies, very much in the same way that our chakra system um, is is a intertwining of these two energies. If we've spoken about the kundalini, the kundalini is the sort of merging of these two energies together to work as a force, and that's what uh, allows us, as it were, to achieve enlightenment. And the same thing is true, obviously, in the Chinese medicine uh, system, um, not just acupuncture, which is more famous, but Chinese medicine in general. There are these energetic systems. It's a more uh, robust system, but still... We have these two forces, the yin and the yang, the masculine and feminine, and these two forces sort of interconnecting are what vitalizes uh, the whole um, system as a whole. And so for our case, the uh, feminine um, point of origin of this whole consciousness grid was actually in uh, Peru, in South America. I believe it was in Peru, and uh, not in Mexico itself, but... Um, you know what, I'm going to check that and come back next week, I'm not sure, but it was in South America. And the masculine center, or the masculine point of origin for the consciousness grid was in Egypt. And in fact, um, as we spoke about, it wasn't the actual pyramid, but the pyramid was on the 
uh, course, the the way that the energy flowed from its point of origin, which was uh, sort of a hundred mile, not a hundred miles, sorry, um, a mile away from the pyramid, and it was on the intersecting lines. If you remember from uh, the episode um, that we showed, how it all sort of sits together. So the 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 center of energy in Egypt was the masculine point of origin for the entire consciousness grid. And that's why this place was uh, very, very important. And this is the reason that uh, Drumvelo basically decides to focus on this. Because uh, in his words, what we're talking about with this whole narrative in terms of Drumvelo's perspective, the uh, utmost uh, the importance of what he's talking about is the information pertaining to the Merkaba, the, uh, both the meditation and the actual uh, energetic vehicle, shall we say. And in his words, the way that we need to uh, remember the information, the knowledge um, that is inside us pertaining to the Merkaba is through the masculine uh, perception, the masculine way of thinking. So obviously we all have a masculine and a feminine side and, you know, we have the two hemispheres and we have the two different approaches uh, in general. Um, we'll call them masculine and feminine just for... Uh, for ease to describe it, um, in in Drumvelo's words, it is actually our masculine part that needs to remember uh, this information, which uh, makes sense in our age, since our feminine part is always the more connected with uh, with the spiritual information, with our intuition, with our energy, etc., uh, etc. Et so, but we'll get into that more later. Uh, for now, what we I'm just going to remind, uh, because we spoke about it in a previous episode, um, we spoke about the different levels of consciousness. And so, Egypt being this uh, center for all of the uh, consciousness grid, for the energy uh, work that was being done there, excuse me, was also a place of great importance in terms of the different uh, beings, shall we say, that were involved in human uh, development. So as we mentioned before, the, the, the human experiment, as it were, the condition over here on Earth, was something that drew the attention of many different uh, beings. And these different beings were actually uh, existing, uh, beings of different levels of consciousness. Uh, to our, um, in Drumvelo's terms, uh, second level of consciousness, the binary level that we're in now. And again, uh, Drumvelo has a lot of uh, evidence, pictures, and the different monuments that are in Egypt. And basically, um, you can see a lot of buildings and architecture in Egypt that is very disproportionate to human beings. The pyramid obviously can fall into that category, but nonetheless, it has tiny little tunnels sort of going through, but there are some uh, buildings, and you've, I'm sure you've seen also in uh, in Jordan, in uh, Petra, that are just massive uh, in size, and they seem a sort of very bizarre choice architecturally. It's a lot more work, and obviously uh, the people who study this in mainstream sciences have always given the uh, interpretation that it has some kind of symbolic meaning and that, you know, this means that this person was important, so they protate him bigger, etc., etc. But in Drumvelo's words, these are actually uh, structures that were created for beings of this size. And so if you'll recall, when we spoke about the different levels of consciousness, there is a certain uh, sort of DNA system 
that goes along uh, with their with the different levels. So we're forty four chromosomes, and uh, the four, the third level is forty six, and then the fourth is forty eight, and the fifth is fifty. Um, and along with that, there is also a an increase in literal physical size and height, uh, right rising up all the way to in uh, Drumvelo's terms. Um, around you know fifty feet, fifty five feet, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I, I I don't believe we've ever done an episode on the on the giants. I think we spoke about it in one of the episodes very briefly, but uh, maybe we'll talk about it another time. If you haven't heard about this at all, um, this is one of the interpretations to the giant skulls and all of the talk in different cultures about. Uh, the existence of giants, of people, as it were, sort of, uh, uh, you know, humanoid form, but much, much, much larger. And so in Drunvalo's terms, these are actually um, beings of higher levels of consciousness who visit Earth, and some of them uh, can take on a physical form, and some of them can, in fact, uh, change between physical forms from these larger beings, uh, sort of being able to shapeshift, as it were, to normal-looking uh, human beings. And again, this is something that we do here in many, many different cultures. The Greeks were very famous for constantly uh, uh, depicting gods as normal people, older people usually, uh, or you know, young maidens, etc., um, so it's 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 again a very interesting question of what was the reasoning for these people to believe? How could this kind of thing uh, come about? Um, and indeed, so much so that the Egyptians felt the need to construct these massive, uh, uh, you know, very just uh, high, large uh, buildings uh, for no other reason than to sort of um, denote some kind of uh, importance or meaning to it. So this this idea again ties into what we've been talking about um, the evolution of consciousness and the relationship between consciousness and the physical form. Uh, I just feel the Drumvelo's narrative holds a lot more information and sort of can uh, solve a lot more, as it were, mysteries that we've come across. But regardless of that, um, Egypt was a center for all of this work that was being done. And as such, we can see that the history of ancient Egypt, even uh, by our uh, mainstream archaeologists, was indeed unique and even, uh, to a certain degree, inexplicable. And we've mentioned this as well, so I'm, I'm going through this a little bit quickly. I hope it's uh, okay. Um, if you're a first-time listener and there's anything that you uh, can't pull, then we've talked about all of these in previous episodes, so I uh, implore you to go and listen to those. But we've actually mentioned that Egypt, uh, ancient Egypt, is categorized as a stair-step uh, civilization. And that means that um, they sort of had a certain level of culture, of civilization, and then overnight they would sort of make this giant leap in certain areas. And then it would remain and sort of plateau for a while, and then another giant leap in a different area, etc., etc. And the two cultures that are recognized as having this kind of uh, formation were Egypt and what we've mentioned, uh, Sumer. So indeed, again, this is a point that correlates to Sitchin's work, which shouldn't surprise us because we know that Drumvelo was an admirer of a lot of Sitchin's work. Um, but nonetheless, we hear a different tale again. 
And so according to Sitchin, what happened here was that the gods had decided to sort of save uh, mankind after the floods and start a new civilization that was more proper, prosperous and indeed um, more sort of, I wouldn't say equal towards humans, but more involving of humans as a uh, being of a certain consciousness. That narrative that Sitchin tells is a very, um, it sort of praises the gods very, very much and slightly diminishes the role of humans as being this sort of very lucky, you know, uh, guinea pig that gets this uh, prize that the gods have bestowed upon him. Whereas Drumvelo's uh, narrative of how this happened and why is, is slightly different, not exactly, uh, you know, terribly different, but I think has a different take on it. And so we spoke about the um, the fall of Atlantis. And after that fall, the Atlanteans, who were less advanced uh, spiritually than their fellow uh, Nicoles, who were already more um, advanced than some were ascended, um, they actually couldn't protect themselves from the... Uh, the great uh, void that came, the shifting of the poles, the uh, point in the procession of the equinox where there's this sort of great reset. And as we mentioned, uh, humans need to activate their Merkaba in order to be uh, protected from it. And so because the Atlanteans didn't have this knowledge, um, they actually fell in consciousness from the third level of consciousness that they were down to uh, the second level of consciousness. Uh, sorry, not, not down to the second, but to the sort of to the first level, down to the beginning, as it were. And so, at this point, the Nicoles and with them the the leaders, as it were, um, all they could really do was wait. And so, as we explained, they divided into three groups, and each went to the sacred uh, place that they were assigned. And there, they sat those uh, Ra and uh, Thoth's son Tat. Um, along with the 1600 ascended uh, Nicoles, all sat under the pyramid uh, in Egypt. And they waited. And they waited for the uh, human beings, the, Atl the uh, uh, ex-Atlanteans, I should say, um, to develop and to uh, um, basically evolve their consciousness to a degree where they would be ready for this uh, information that they had forgotten, as it were. And so at this point, um, what happened was that uh, Tat and Ra and uh, the other Nicoles formed this first-of-its-kind organization. And this was the first uh, secret society whose uh, job it was, as it were, whose authority was to provide the human beings in Egypt with the information that would allow them to advance and to reach uh, the higher level of consciousness in time. And so although they uh, sat waiting, and according to Drunvalo, they sat for 6,000 years um, waiting for humans to sort of evolve uh, back up, um, it was still on this sort of uh, stop clock that is ticking towards the final point that human beings will be able to uh, complete the consciousness grid and enter the third level of consciousness. And so it was with this agenda that this, the, the Tat Brotherhood, this secret society that was formed, um, began to disseminate this knowledge. And so what they would do is very much as uh, is described, um, they would lie in wait, as it were, until 
the Egyptians were ready and then they would send people out and these people would teach, you know, those in power, those who had influence, those who were the right people, um, this new information, this new knowledge. And then uh, they would sort of go back and wait and let that knowledge uh, spread and uh, evolve and take place. And then after enough time had come, uh, they would come and sort of uh, enlighten them some more, etc., etc. And if you see this, I mean, this is a very uh, sort of strange way to think about human evolution in society. But if you see the evidence in the Egyptians' cultural evolution, it really does defy um, our normal perception. Because if you look at the whole line through, including the decline of ancient Egypt and indeed Sumer, you see that at the beginning of the civilization, right at the start, it was at the peak and then as uh, time passed and uh, things progressed, it actually declined and sort of devolved back to a, a lower state. And this kind of uh, progression is very, very bizarre if we imagine evolution being, you know, linear and uh, increasing over time, improving over time, complexifying over time. That's why uh, organic systems develop that way, because it's much less stable to start with a finished product, you're more likely to have it deteriorate. Whereas if uh, whatever it is is sort of growing over time, it, it strengthens, it becomes better and more stable uh, as it grows. And so it's the same thing with cultures, with empires, with cells, etc., etc. As soon as you have a culture that is sort of spoon-fed these gems of knowledge, um, in a way, if they're given uh, you know, absolute power, there's much more chance of it being uh, abused and mishandled. And there's this thing of people, you know, not being ready for this information. Um, and so it's it's a, a sort of delicate process. But at the same time, the thing that was driving um, the Tat Brotherhood, obviously, to become so involved in these uh, in these humans who were developing next to them was the the idea, first of all, that they were um, ex-Atlanteans, they were part of the same people, they had just sort of forgotten their state, and that um, time was ticking in terms of what, how much longer they had before they would miss the opportunity to uh, reach this higher level of consciousness. And so they were doing all of this in order to help humanity along to prepare human beings in time, or the point where we'd be able to activate the uh, consciousness grid and, in fact, enter the uh, third level of consciousness. Now, uh, just a reminder, but I, I, I feel the need to say this because <laughs> in a few places in the book, Drumvelo talks <clears throat> very clearly and specifically about timelines, and I've mentioned this before. So to remind you, uh, Drumvelo claims that the consciousness grid that we're talking about, the Christ consciousness grid, was activated in 1989. And uh, that from that period of time, we basically sort of uh, began to be able to enter this level of consciousness and we have a certain amount of time uh, before it's too late, as it were. Now, uh, he doesn't mention specifically when the last date is, when uh, this third dimension will, I don't know, disappear or whatever. Um, but he certainly doesn't think of 2020, shall I put it like that. So I do feel the need to be absolutely uh, open about everything and to say that I don't agree with Drumvelo on everything uh, that he says. If you want to obviously see his uh, exact predictions and perspectives, then uh, he has it all there. Um, but 
even without um, the idea of this doomsday clock, this uh, end of the line, this, you know, uh, time that's um, approaching that we have to uh, beat it in some way, um, there's still a lot of reason to, I think, research and uh, discover this narrative and to see um, how this way of developing civilization could have affected us and indeed whether it has any correlation to what happens because there are very few explanations that can tell us why a society would develop in this way and would behave uh, in this way in general. So that's a little bit about um, the importance of Egypt and how it played a role in developing human consciousness, uh, obviously in alignment with the consciousness grid. And we're going to be talking a lot more, obviously, about um, the whole process of uh, the, the Egyptian uh, development alongside the Brotherhood, uh, the Tat Brotherhood, um, and we'll we'll get into more into that more later. But for now, we're going to talk a little bit about, and we're right at the halfway mark. Excellent. We're going to talk a little bit about the Egyptians' perception of death, because uh, I think it's a very uh, interesting subject. Of course, I. You've been listening for a while. You know that I have a, <laughs> a certain obsession with death. Now, it's a very important subject for us all to uh, think and talk about. I think more so than uh, than we do today. And uh, the Egyptians, on the other hand, uh, were very um, open and willing to discuss the idea of uh, death, etc., etc. And uh, I think, uh, well, it has to be said, the Egyptians have a book for those who don't know called uh, the Book of the Dead. And I uh, am ashamed to admit that I haven't read it. I've read sort of parts of it, and I've read uh, uh, sort of people have told me about it, but I haven't actually read it uh, cover to cover. There's also another book called the Tibetan, or it's called the Book of the Dead, but it's the Tibetan uh, Book of the Dead, and they are quite different, although the patterns are overlapping, but it's uh, good to not be confused by them. Um, but both share the same purpose, and that is to, in some way, uh, guide the recently deceased or the soul that has left the body beyond this physical realm to the next. Um, that's really the basis of everything that uh, that that both the the Egyptian and the Tibetan Book of the Dead are about. And I thought this would be an interesting subject to talk about a little bit because I've recently uh, just watched a film. And called uh, Soul, which you may have heard. It's a it's a pretty big uh, animation film. Um, I actually haven't spoken about films much. I'm a pretty. I mean, I'm not in any way knowledgeable, but I do enjoy cinema. And I think cinema is a wonderful way to uh, tell stories and to discuss these sort of themes. And obviously, I'm much more interested in narrative than uh, well today than absolute uh, fact. Um. But I decided that this was a very good opportunity for me to talk about uh, different films and to showcase the difference in perception and cosmology that each of them hold. And then I'd like to compare them to uh, the Egyptian perception of death. So um, I'm not actually going to be, uh, you know, really spoiling the films too much. So for those who haven't seen um, Soul or Cloud Atlas, um, you know, for those in chat who are listening, you can uh, think about, <laughs> be careful with your hand on the trigger if you want to mute it. But I'm not going to give away any big spoilers. I'm more interested in the uh, cosmology that underlies these uh, two films. To start off, Soul is a film that, even if you watch the trailer, you'll know, it's about a musician who abruptly dies just as he's about to get his big break. 
and he is uh, then attempting to get back to his body for that big break. Now, regardless of what happens, the uh, the underlying philosophy of the film is that you have this very linear three-stage um, sort of act, <laughs> as it were, uh, for life. And that is, there's this period of time before you're given a body, before you're born, and then you have your life, and then you have sort of death and the great beyond. And it's all uh, a linear uh, progression. Now, regardless of any kind of criticism that I may hold to monotheism uh, in general, just because of my upbringing, um, I do think, or I do feel, that this is a rather simplistic perception of life. Because it, first of all, puts life at the sort of um, heart of everything. And that's already a very anthropomorphic, sort of humanistic perspective to take. But also, it um, sort of it draws any meaning and significance away from anything that happens after. So, whether or not you believe in a heaven or hell, whether or not, as in the film, Soul uh, seems to portray, um, there is only sort of one outcome, which is the great beyond. Um, in both of those cases, there's nothing after that next stage. So, you live your life here, and then according to your life here, you get an afterlife of some sort, and that's it. There's no more room for growth or for, uh, you know, change of any kind. It's this uh, uh, nothingness, whether it's eternal damnation or eternal, uh, uh, you know, heaven. Um, both of those perceptions for me feel very uh, simplistic and sort of childish. They don't go into any depth as to, you know, what or why or how. Now, in contrast with this, we have the film Cloud Atlas. And if you haven't watched Cloud Atlas, I highly, highly recommend it. If you haven't watched Soul, I'll be honest, if it's your style, you'll recognize very quickly, but it's not a, an amazing film as far as I'm concerned. It was fun. I enjoyed it, but nothing more. Cloud Atlas, I believe, is one of the best films, if not the, that, uh, that I've ever seen, honestly. Um, I've seen it over 10 times, and I saw it in the cinema first, and it really blew me away. So... It's also a very uh, one of the most, I think, complex uh, storylines um, that there are. It's uh, for I'll very, very briefly describe in case you've never heard of it and never read the book. But it's six different stories, more or less, um, that follow different characters through different periods of time. And the way the film is structured is that the same actors play different characters. And because you have this element of the same actor playing a different character, you can um, follow a trail of these different characters throughout time. And so immediately this whole film is based on a completely different notion to what we just discussed, which is this linear progression through three points. Here, the same character, the same you know soul, as it were, um, can uh, come back through time. And in fact, the... Um, repercussions and indeed the outcome of their actions affect that uh, next life and are affected by the previous. And so this very clearly and uh, simply is known as reincarnation, which we have spoken about many times in the show and is not a new uh, invention at all. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I could talk about Just Cloud Atlas until the end, but I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want to have any spoilers. I think I haven't ruined the film uh, for every for anyone, if you haven't watched it, seriously, do yourself a favor. It's quite long, but oh my gosh, it's a masterpiece. Um, and for me, 
I think, obviously, what I liked about it the most was the cosmology, the philosophy, the message that the film was very, very clear about. Um, and that message was, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to uh, put it exactly as the film would, but instead I'm going to contrast it slightly with, um, with the Egyptian perception and with soul. And so obviously here, um, your life here and your actions here aren't, uh, don't begin and end with your life, but they actually are, in a way, everlasting. And so you should give much more thought and much more weight to your actions. And this is obviously the idea of karma. Um, alongside the fact that, you know, just if because um, if you're, you know, in some way punished or suffer in this lifetime, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you've missed the boat because you get another chance and because, you know, you're suffering if it was for a good reason, if it wasn't to attempt to protect or, you know, whatever, um, then that counts as something that carries value beyond your death. And that notion already means that the way we view our lives is not uh, selfishly trying to get ourselves into heaven because this is the only chance we've got, because, um, you know, it's either or, I can either get it or I miss out, and, and it's very, very uh, black and white. But instead, life and death in that cycle in Cloud Atlas is seen as a growth, as an, as a, an, evol an evolution over time with room to make errors as long as you learn from them. And as you learn and as you grow, it actually sort of improves and becomes better and better, etc. So those are two contrasting uh, views. But both of those views suffer, or I shouldn't say suffer, but they uh, hold the very Western uh, interpretation, I believe, of um, reincarnation. And that's because the Western interpretation of reincarnation is really not very uh, religious, I should say, and uh, maybe not even quite as spiritual, and it's much more a sort of scientific. I'm, I'm talking about myself as well, obviously. I, when I think of reincarnation, I don't think of it just as, you know, God's good grace. I think of it really as I think of reality, as I think of my life, etc., etc. So um, our perception in the West is very much... Um, just trying to grasp and wrestle with the idea of reincarnation. Whereas if we look at the Egyptians, and indeed any um, spiritual teaching that deals with the idea of reincarnation, their message is very, very clear. And that is always that reincarnation is actually a trap. And that reincarnation is this sort of endless, or not endless, but a cycle that you are, quote-unquote, doomed to repeat until you learn your lesson and you can move on. And the, the, it, obviously it's not a punishment in that sense, but it is sort of, you know, work that you have to do. And all of these mystical and spiritual teachings are basically offering a way out. All of them talk about the fact that this cycle of reincarnation is not the be-all and end-all. It's not what it's all about. And in fact, it's more of an illusion that we need to wake up to, meditate, come to, you know, become one, become at peace, whatever the terminology, in order to ascend and in order to move uh, forward and to progress uh, from this cycle of reincarnation. And I thought that was interesting because, I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't think, I don't necessarily agree with that perception. I'm so far enjoying my uh, cycle this time, so I have no 
Um, I'm not in any hurry to move on too quickly. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting difference in, in, in the perception of saying this life that we are living um, is a chance given to us to try and improve ourselves versus this life that we are living is actually an illusion that is taking away our focus from bettering ourselves. And I think this sort of points to a very big um, difference um, with regards to, let's say, nature or natural physical uh, reality, what we term the third dimension. Uh, taking, you know, living with nature, um, living a physical life is something that a lot of spiritual teachings shy away from and indeed uh, advocate um, restraining yourself and sort of weaning yourself off of the physical reality, whether it's meditation, whether it's eating, whether it's, you know, physical, uh, whatever it is that you're trying to remove that animalistic uh, part of yourself and sort of purify to a higher state of being. And uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that perception. I think that sort of both are equally valid in my uh, personal, humble opinion. Um, but nevertheless, in terms of the Egyptians, they were quite um, concerned with attempting to break free from this cycle of reincarnation, from this uh, cycle of repetition, and be able to move forward and to advance. And so in order to understand how uh, they did that. We're going to talk a little bit about the technicalities. How much time do we have? Okay. Uh, yeah, we, sh we should be perfect on time. Nice. So, we're going to introduce a new term here that I believe we haven't actually mentioned, and that is the term resurrection, which obviously a term that all of us, I assume, who are listening to this are aware of. Um, but uh, it's it's a distinction that Drumvelo makes, and I uh, I quite like distinctions, uh, la uh, linguistic distinctions, and he talks about three different terms, which are resurrection, uh, the reincarnation that we've spoken about, and ascension, which is also another term that we've uh, mentioned. So, what is the difference? What does this all mean? Well, reincarnation we've already spoken about. That is uh, entering this cycle. And what happens, according to the Egyptians, again, this is the Egyptian perspective, um, what happens after death is that we go through the same sort of void as the one that we were speaking about um, during the darkness and the, what fell on uh, Atlantis, upon Atlantis. And during this void, we forget, we lose our memory, and it is because of this sort of loss of memory that we... Um, get cycled back to earth. And so, during this process of dying, we have sort of forgotten the use of the Merkaban, so we can't protect ourselves against it, and therefore we reincarnate back to earth and have another chance to sort of remember this uh, information of awakening our um, uh, uh, aura to protect us. Um, and until we manage to do that, we keep dying and being sent back, etc., etc., now, what happens according to the Egyptians? Well, what uh, you, to differentiate from other practices which told people about um, basically reaching ascension, which means that as you are meditating, you know, under a tree, you suddenly achieve enlightenment, and in that moment of enlightenment, you transcend the cycle of life and death. Um, and you've basically broken free. And it, when you die or when your body dies, um, your Merkaba is already activated, so you don't actually forget. Um, and you're already there, as it were. You achieved it during your life. But according to 
Boomvalar and the Egyptians. This was something that was tremendously difficult to do before the consciousness grid was actually um, constructed and activated. And therefore, during the early time of ancient Egypt, this method wasn't as available. Um, what was available instead... Now, for those who are astute, you might notice that there is a slight uh, lapse of timing here. Um, the actual consciousness grid wasn't activated until 1989. There are stories of ascension or sort of in different cultures uh, long before then and after uh, ancient Egypt. So it's not exactly the activation that's required in order to attain, uh, to be, to ascend, as it were. Um, but it was the construction of the grid and the continuous um, development of it that sort of increased the probability over time. That's just if you're a little confused. But again, this is the Egyptian uh, version of it. So it's not necessarily exactly in sync with the other Eastern, not other, but the Eastern traditions that claim only ascension. Uh, for the Egyptians, because of this problem and because uh, they believed that it wasn't possible to attain ascension, or at least it was much more difficult, they developed or were given another method to break the cycle of reincarnation. And that's what they called resurrection. Now, if you've uh, heard of uh, the Ankh, uh, A-N-K-H, that was the Egyptian tool, one of the Egyptian tools. And uh, Drumvelo talks about many different tools that were used and what they were for. And the Ankh was definitely uh, the most important one. It was basically uh, a way to interact with the spirit, the soul of the person um, while it was inside the body. And indeed, at the moment of death. And what would happen was that during the lifetime, um, people uh, within the Tat Brotherhood who were going through this training in order to um, be resurrected, as it were, would remember um, the information about the Merkaba, but in a different state, their soul, in a sort of low area, would remember or would trigger that memory to a certain degree. But according to Drumvalo, they wouldn't be able to use that information during their life. And so what they had to do was they would sort of have this experience or attain this knowledge and have to, as it were, wait. Um, but uh, they would basically um, wait for the moment that they would die. And in death, then they would be able to uh, remember to activate the Merkaba. And at that moment, since they would awaken uh, the Merkaba inside them, they would be able to leave that cycle of reincarnation and uh, move beyond uh, to what is ahead. Okay, Whew. so that's all of that. How are we doing for time? Okay, we still got a little bit of time left. Um, ah, this is a good time to stop. Are there any questions so far about what we've talked about? I feel like we've been through a lot of uh, information today. Um, I have to admit, as uh, I've said many times before, Drumvelo does go into much greater detail as to the... Um, the process of reincarnation itself. And he talks, I'll just mention this very quickly because uh, it, it, it connects to what we've spoken about before. When we mentioned the different dimensions and um, one of the metaphors that we used to describe it was with uh, tones, musical tones, and the relationship between the different tones um, was correlated to the relationship between different dimensions. So if we talk about our dimension and there are uh, alternate dimensions that are sort of a certain not distance, but, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a different place than us, 
um, different beings had the ability to move between these different dimensions, and that was what we, we've spoken about before. So according to Drunvalo, um, what would happen upon death because of forgetting the Merkaba was that we would go to the third overtone of the fourth dimension instead of going to the fourth uh, dimension itself. And that is a sort of closed loop, as it were, that would send uh, the soul back to Earth uh, for another reincarnation. And so the, the idea being that when we manage to break free uh, from this cycle, we can actually avoid, as it were, that, uh, that pitfall um, that would send us back and be able to progress forward. I can't actually remember the exact... Um, the correlating overtone that allows us to progress forward. But I will try and find it for next week, and I will uh, let you know, unfortunately. Ah, okay. Um, oh, I, I've seen it just now. So it, this, uh, when you do awaken the Merkaba, when you become aware of it, then you can either go to the 10th, 11th, or 12th overtone of the fourth dimension. And then that sort of passes that, uh, that block, as it were, that, as it were. Um, that wall. And if you remember, we've spoken about that um, pattern, as it were. We've seen it before when it comes to the chakra system that we have these different walls in place um, to avoid progression of consciousness of the soul, which is uh, not ready for it yet. They're sort of these safeguards um, that you can't pass through, as it were, until you've developed uh, in whatever way uh, is necessary. This same sort of idea of a safeguard um, is, is, is the idea of death. And that is that when you finish your cycle of life here, um, you obviously have a certain work of balancing whatever that it is that you need to do. And this um, wall, as it were, that's blocking us from continuing is there to protect us from jumping ahead when we're not ready and allows us to sort of come back for another round uh, until we are prepared. So again, I, I do want to say that this is, uh, <laughs> in my perception at least, um, I don't have any kind of um, fear of running out of time. I think this is a very general notion in, in a lot of different cultures, and especially uh, spiritually speaking, if death is the final thing, then that's all the time that we have. And if uh, the apocalypse or doomsday is coming, then we're counting down. And if a comet is going to hit, etc., etc. I just, uh, I think that I, I, I did have a period in my life where I did believe those things, where I did have this sense of uh, doom, uh, impending doom, I should say. Um, and indeed, obviously, there's there's a lot of things that can happen. This pandemic certainly uh, does tick a lot of the uh, boxes that we might have imagined uh, before it happened. Um, but nonetheless, it is actually this belief that death isn't the end, that uh, reincarnation uh, exists, that we are not um, this lifetime alone, but we are actually um, capable of experiencing different lifetimes, that belief lends me a lot of comfort and patience in accepting that no matter what happens, no matter what the uh, tragedy, or let's, let's, let's be absolutely honest for a moment, um, you know, our sun is going to eventually explode, as all suns do, it's going to die, and with it, um, to a certain degree, uh, this planet, no matter what your belief, and that's uh, very, very far away, and a lot will happen until then, so we have to accept that fact that change comes and not always good, and we've been blessed with a relatively long period of very calm conditions uh, here on Earth. I mean, 
generally, you know, astronomically speaking, no matter what that doomsday scenario that we might be afraid of uh, comes, um, in the end, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's okay. Because the human race, as it were, is not here to survive forever or to, you know, make it out in time, as far as I'm concerned, in my personal life. But we really are meant to come here to experience and to live the life that we are living in order for our soul, in order for our consciousness to benefit from that experience. And as long as we maintain that very narrow perspective (laughs) of saying, you know, I'm living my life not to make it before death, and I'm living my life not so that everything will be perfect, but I'm just living my life to experience. And when the good comes, I experience the good, and when the bad comes, I experience the bad. Um, I think, and for me personally, that allows me to live a much healthier and uh, calmer life with much less uh, anxiety. So that would be the the message that I'd like to uh, give to anyone who is interested. Um, that It's very easy, I think, to fall into that trap of doomsday, especially now. And honestly, I mean, I've been to a certain degree expecting this kind of thing and even more so the uh, governmental you know power grab that comes with any crisis um the bigger the more um so i've been sort of expecting something like this for a long time and seeing it unfold in real time well you know this is what uh, changed the podcast format from what i had originally intended to what i believed was uh, more important for these times but nonetheless uh, no matter how scary <laughs> it might get or what we might think it's good to always remember that this is just one life and that uh, I'll do better the next one. You know, whatever I don't get done in this life, I'll uh, I'll get to it next time. So <laughs> that's uh, that's the thought that I'd like to leave you all live uh, all with. Ah, Freudian slip. Nice. Okay, I see we are getting close to the end. Let me see if there's anything uh, in Shanda. <laughs> oh, Darsico, I didn't see you had joined. Welcome. Sorry, right at the end. Um, yes, a billion years, I believe, is it? I, I can't remember exactly. I think it was six million years, I think. Um, but yes, definitely in a very, very long time. But, you know, I mean, solar flares, giant volcanoes, just massive flooding. You know, it doesn't take much for us to envision uh, a catastrophe that would completely change our culture and the way the world works. I think that's also something that's very important to remember with these um, ancient civilizations and their study that everyone feels the way that we feel about their civilizations or everyone feels that they're uh, you know the pinnacle and the center point and the point from which everything else is measured because that's true in that moment of time for who you are you know this is the most exciting time on earth this is the most advanced we've ever been this is the most connected we've ever been but honestly i think that for people who were opening the trade route or for people who were you know laying the railway in the americas or whatever I'm in history that you choose, you know, the ones that I don't even know about, people felt the same way, and people always felt they were the center and the focal point of this human timeline. And uh, that's okay, because in our minds we are, but on a larger scale, if we try to look beyond, um, you know, it's not really that uh, special. (laughs) In a good way, in the sense that this is the time that it is, and the future holds different things, and we'll... um, We'll wait and see how long how long we get in this cycle. 
You know, that's that's one thing we always have to remember, that we don't actually know how much time I've so far uh, outlived my predictions. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm just uh, profiting here, you know? <laughs> Which is a nice way to live. Instead of feeling like every day that passes is uh, uh, a day less, I feel like, wow, every day that I got was an extra day that I didn't think I'd get. <laughs> anyway, wow, that's a lot of rambling for me. Um, I should probably start plugging some of the other shows as I've seen that Avian Flu has returned. I wasn't quite on chat today. Um, oh my gosh, you sent this ages ago. I always think of Thought when I see Thought. Thought. Who's Thought? I don't think I uh, have heard of that. Anyway, uh, that was from a long time ago. Oh, Krim. Yeah. Well, sorry, Krim. I didn't get to say <laughs> goodbye, but thanks for joining anyway. Wow, it's not really as uh, good as when I just read the messages at the end, is it? Um, ah, not to worry. Oh, there you are. Oh, is he here? Oh, yeah, you are here, flu. No, no, you uh, you always get a pass as you have to prepare your show, which is a great natural lead-in to letting you know that next um, uh, next show, sorry, I just saw, next show is post-up with our wonderful host i don't know if i should always uh if i should introduce you as avian flu or uh by your personal name i never know on discord and especially with uh hive members i, I never want to uh to uh yeah to use uh real names because you never know what people feel uh, comfortable with but anyway it's a great show if you haven't uh, been before you should definitely check it out and if you're already here listening to this then you should <laughs> then you should definitely uh, um, stay tuned because that's in five minutes after this show. Seven, six minutes, as I should say. Uh, (laughs) You know what? Many Discord handles don't ever appreciate that there's some poor, uh, you know, broadcaster somewhere who has to, on his feet, quickly try and read through these uh, Latin, you know, uh, runes and uh, try and make sense of it while actually pronouncing it correctly. No, it's uh, it's acceptable in today's um, avatar, right? Uh, handle world. The same with Twitch, but still, it's uh, what what is it now? Avian flumintal. Flumintal is that how you pronounce it? It's also in a different color, so it's hard to read. Flumin. Oh, that's very clever. I even read it last time, and I just forgot. Avian Fluminati, I apologize. That's that's much better than what I was trying to sounded like a kind of cheese. But you see, Avian Fluminati, that's a lot of syllables to uh, pronounce in uh, in in a show. But uh, yeah, that is, that's actually a very good uh, <laughs> handle, I have to say. And especially when people change their handles, that's very confusing in and of itself. Um, well, before I continue and before I forget, is does Krim have a show today? Is she saying, oh, wait, sorry. Does that mean she's just not here for the show, but she has a show uh, herself at, uh, I can do this, 1 o'clock, 1, p, uh, 1 a.m. UTC. Yes, I remembered. Uh, yeah, do you know if she has a show, Rondon? I'll have to wait for her answer. But regardless, definitely join Post Up, um, which is up next. And uh, yeah, let me know what you thought of the uh, episode. I <laughs> honestly, I didn't, I didn't actually think about doing mentioning the films uh, at all. Um, but it's something that I, I really enjoy. So uh, let me know what you, what you thought of it as well. Because I mean, I don't think I'd be doing it very often. But I think that films are a great medium to convey very complex ideas and themes, as as I like. 
Um, yeah, so I thought it'd be fun. But again, it's very hard because you don't want to spoil it, but you need people who have never heard of it to sort of know what you're talking about, etc. So I don't know. We'll see. I, look, I'll be honest with you guys. This is a very, very... Uh, it's a work in progress. This podcast, you know, I'd love it to be super professional one day, but right now we're sort of building this thing together. Uh, because without you, I'm just some crazy guy talking into a mic. So it's nice to know that there are some listeners <laughs> out there. Um, and I just hope that you enjoy and make sense of my uh, ramblings here once a week that in some way entertains you. If so, then my work is done. Ah, Krim has a show. Excellent. So Krim's show is tonight, and she'll be live at 1, which is a uh, a great uh, metal show. I'm afraid it's a little bit late uh, for me, um, so I don't always make it. But if you're listening and you missed and you want to, I know that she also has a YouTube channel, which she uh, posts live to as well and uh, has the videos there afterwards. So if you want to catch that, I'm sure she would appreciate it. Um, okay, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm still too eager to have any good questions. I think uh, only, you know, ignorant people can have good questions. Once you know everything, then there's no questions left. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I uh, I do. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'll just be honest with you. Like, it's it was my dream for a very long time to uh, to speak like this. I always imagined it being more of a sort of, lecture and probably one-off um but in fact as soon as podcasting became something uh, i obviously very much gravitated towards it um so yeah i mean for me personally like uh, this whole thing is a very very uh, interesting process that uh, that we're going through um and yeah part of that is definitely having the people like it's my my absolute fantasy, if I'm honest. The best show is one that I don't prepare to at all and that I just show up and people ask me questions. That is where I'm the best. Uh, the hardest thing for me to do is sort of try and, uh, you know, before the actual show, come up with a full episode and the different points, etc., etc. That's much more uh, of a task for me to do. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. But if anyone... Uh, please feel free to ask questions as it does tend to invigorate me uh, when it comes to it. Yes, we definitely love Krim. And I'm sorry that she couldn't make it. I hope she's okay at work. Um, but yeah, she's awesome. Everybody loves Krim, no? That's what I, that's what it looks like from chat, at least. Because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nice. It's a very good vibe to have. I have to say the trolling that goes on here is uh, is quite tolerable compared to some places. So it's great. And I, you know what? I actually don't know about all of the uh, many new DJs who have joined, unfortunately. I'm, I really apologize to all of you as I'm not anywhere near as supportive as I'd like to be. I'm completely inundated with so much right now that it's hard to, uh, to stay on top. But at least I can make it once a week to this, uh, which is a wonderful experience for me. So I want to thank you all who made it this week. And for those who are listening, um, I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. I've been Olev. It's been an absolute pleasure. You can join me next week for the live show. And I wish you uh, the best of times. Yeah.